This is Pastor Sam, and welcome to the Shining Light Podcast, and this is... Happy to compromise with Evil Wyatt. This is a special edition this evening. This is January the 6th, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, or a little after. Just a couple um, minutes. Yeah. We were actually talking about doing this podcast tomorrow night, but the way things are moving right now, we thought it better be done tonight. So uh, tomorrow may be too late. I hope that's not the case. But we, uh, we want to get this information to you as quickly as we can because things are happening. That's right. And uh, as, as we come here, now, you did this actually on Sunday for our church uh, for Sunday school. Now, of course, yes. there's been a little bit of uh, updating with, with yes. what's, what's been going on and different things like that. Yeah. And so you're going to be taking the, the lead on this because you're, um, you're the expert. I'm, I'm just the guy who asks questions. That's how it is for all, all of them, but <laughs> especially this one. <laughs> yeah, I, um, just to give you a little bit of my background, I was a defense contractor for four years, a little over four years, two different deployments. Uh, worked in Kuwait at uh, Central Command, which is one of the bases we'll be talking about tonight, and uh, at all the bases in Kuwait I've been to. So, And that's a pretty close uh, proximity to Iran itself, but uh, things are a lot different now than they were when I was there. Uh, things have gotten pretty hot. So do we want to kick into that? I think so. Okay. So for several years now, for 40 years, Iran has kind of been a, a sponsor of terrorism, as you probably recall, those of you who are older, the 1979 uh when Iran took our embassy in Tehran, the U.S. embassy, and took our uh, diplomats and some of the Marines hostage. And from there, things have kind of deteriorated between the, the countries over the years. In the mid-80s, uh, there was uh, some conflict in the Gulf. We uh, actually had a front an aircraft carrier that uh, fixed one of their uh, instruments that helped them bomb some Iranian oil platforms at the time. We also sided with Iraq during the Iran-Iraq war, which lasted for eight years in the 80s. Um, again, that, that conflict between Iran and, and the uh, Iraqis. Uh, the interesting thing about this whole situation though is they are now the, and have been for a while, Iran is the statewide sponsor of terrorism in the world. So a lot of the terrorist attacks are financed, um, weapons are given, and, and uh, things of that nature by the Iranians, and this has been ongoing. So Hezbollah, which now is, is practically the military of Lebanon, is, is sponsored by Iran. The Syrian government is, is also on, sponsored and aligned with Iran. So um, these are Shia Muslims. And for those of you that don't know the, um, the kind of the differences in Muslims, we have two sects of Muslims, main sects, the Shia and the Sunni. Shia Islam is represented, the main power base of that is Iran. And uh, Sunni Islam, the main power base of that is Saudi Arabia. So within that, there's been ongoing war for 1400 years, not just against the rest of the world, but these two sects have been vying for power. Now, about 80% of the world Muslim population identifies with Sunni Islam. The other 20% obviously would be some sect of Shia. The differences between the two are the Sunnis believe that uh, Muhammad was the last prophet of Allah, and the Shia would believe that actually his cousin slash son-in-law, Ali, was the, the, the heir apparent, and they've been fighting over this oh. distinction for for many years. But there's a little bit different eschatology involved there between the two factions. We'll discuss that here in a little bit because eschatology in the Islamic world has a major bearing on what's going on right now politically between the United States and Iran. That's right. Now, uh, this, this eschatology, it's interesting because I think we're going to see how it, it kind of uh, a little bit might mix with, with our eschatology, obviously not mm -hmm. in the same way and a very much a different way, but, um, but it will be kind of interesting to kind of look at that. And uh, things have escalated, though, recently mm -hmm. with Iran. Can you kind of walk us through what are these uh, escalations that have happened here since late last year, because we're in a new year, 2020 here. It's, yes, it started are. off pretty quick. 
uh, especially in the geopolitical side of things. But can you kind of walk us through the last few things that happened uh, that really led to this escalation here in early 2020? Okay. So Iran has for a while aspired to have nuclear weapons. Um, back in 2007, when I was actually in Kuwait, a lot of stuff that happens over there doesn't get back to the States. There was going to be an attempt on our part to uh, address that issue at the last minute that was called off. Now, that never made the headlines over here, but I was there when it was happening, and uh, I developed some sources there, and that's exactly what was going on. I don't want to go into any further details there. but uh, So this has long been a problem, and of course, the, the arch enemies of Iran, they think, is Israel. So they'd like to see Israel wiped off the map, as many Muslims would, but but these guys are the ones that are really bloodthirsty for it. They're the ones that have been pushing war um, at different times, and especially in recent years, trying to push Syria into taking on uh, Israel, which they've done, but uh, not with, with any success. So with all this building up, and, and last year, if you'll recall, there were several instances that happened that didn't really get responded to. There were tankers attacked in the Gulf. Um, and some of them were actually taken into custody by Iranian forces. Others were attacked by missile. And uh, that was kind of, you know, there's some talk about what was going to be done, but nothing was done. The unfortunate thing with Islam, and especially these Iranians, are that when you show weakness, that you embolden them for further aggression. And this is just the way it is. They do not look at mercy as something that's a good thing. They look at mercy as weakness, and that's what was shown them. And then we had a situation late last year where Iranians actually attacked the Saudi Arabian oil field, or Ramco and damaged. It's a large oil field in, in Saudi Arabia. The missiles came from Iran. So that was talked about a response, and in fact there was going to be some response. Nothing happened there again. Um, a, a drone from one of our aircraft carrier battle groups was shot down in international space. There was talk of a strike. Ultimately at the last second that was called off as well. So the Iranians are feeling like at this point that they can pretty much get away with, with doing what they want to, as they've done in years prior. The past administrations have kind of let them uh, get a pass on different things. The Obama administration actually gave them billions of dollars. Where do you think that money went to? So um, we're going to see the fruits of that. So appeasing the enemy never works. So on January the no December the 29th, we had a situation where Hezbollah forces. Now remember, these are proxies of Iran, which control both Lebanon and they operate now in Syria in that ongoing civil war, which is kind of winding down a little bit. And also now they're in Iraq. So Hezbollah forces attacked Camp Taji, which is a base north of uh, Baghdad. And in that attack, uh, it was a missile and rocket attack, some American contractor was killed and a couple or several soldiers were injured. In response to that, we immediately uh, sent some F-15 Eagles into action. We attacked five Hezbollah camps, I believe three were in Iraq and two were in Syria bombing those and causing losses, depending on who's reporting, between 24 and 40 killed, and of course those bases were pretty well torn up. In response to that now, the Iranians, of course, big on revenge, you know, they're the innocent guys. They initiated the attacks, and when we responded now, they need revenge for that. They attacked our embassy here a few days ago, as you might recall. Uh, 20,000 people showed up at the Green Zone in Baghdad and uh, started protesting and then actually started breaking in and got a, ways, a little ways in there. They were finally repelled by Marines with um, concussion grenades and some tear gas and some warning shots. President Trump immediately reinforced that embassy with a 100 Marine quick reaction force and got some helicopters overhead. That kind of calmed down the crowds outside. Uh, the, the significant thing here though, Pastor Sam, is that the green zone has typically been a hard place to get to. There were Iraqi forces kind of withdrew and let this mob form. Well, the guy who's kind of in charge of all this stuff, the guy that was 
giving orders for this, and a guy that's for many years cost the lives of both Americans and Iranians and Iraqis and people in different places all over the world was one General Qassam Soleimani. So this is a guy that's a bad guy. He was known as a shadow general. He's commander of the Quds Force in the Iranian Republican Revolutionary Guard. The Quds Force is Quds in Farsi, which is the native language of, of Iran. Quds means Jerusalem. So it's the Jerusalem force that this guy was in charge of. So they would be tasked one day with raising the flag of Islam or Iran, or Iran over Jerusalem that's been conquered. So the Jews would be wiped out and Jerusalem would be taken by the Muslims as it once was back in the 8th century. So with all these things going, the, oh by the way, the Iranian Republican Guard is a 125,000 man force. They are a paramilitary organization who answer only to the Ayatollah. They are the true believers, they are the fanatics. These are the guys that would willingly and gladly give their lives in the cause. These guys control the intelligence services, they direct the military of Iran, the regular military. They're also big on exporting terrorism, missiles to terrorists, training terrorists. These are the bad guys. Some of these guys are in Syria right now as well. So this guy was, you could look at it as maybe the number two guy in Iran, uh, only behind the Ayatollahs. And, uh, he was also responsible in, our, in the Iraq war that we were involved in. Uh, it's kind of died down a little bit, obviously. But uh, there was improvised explosive devices that were being used at the time to blow up our, our convoys and vehicles. Well, some of our stuff we have armored. We have MRAPs that uh, can handle that sort of uh, attack a little bit better now. So the Iranians devised an, uh, a device and improvised to these improvised explosive devices of a copper plate about this big this copper plate, when, when the, the trap would be detonated, would turn that copper plate into molten metal and it would throw it into the armor of our vehicles and kill and injure people in those vehicles. So that was something that we knew was coming out of Iran. We even knew where the factory was, but nothing was done about that. But Soleimani was behind that as well. So the protest in Baghdad recently was at his behest. And as, as we've been told, he flew to, to Baghdad to kind of oversee what was going to be the next stages there. And that's when um, the United States, with a Reaper drone at, at President Trump's orders, destroyed the vehicle he's in, killing him and several of his top aides and also some of the militia leaders in that area that were responsible for that uprising against our embassy. So that's where it stood at the moment. So the, uh, the attack on the embassy, could we say that this would have been um, somewhat of a similar attack, actually probably a larger scale attack than that what happened in Benghazi? Yeah, of course Benghazi was not an embassy. It was a, uh, we didn't have an embassy in Benghazi, but it was where the ambassador was working at the time. And the, <laughs> the unfortunate thing we know now is there was some uh, drugs and some human um, trafficking. smuggling, trafficking coming out of there and they were taking an exchange of weapons that were going up to Syria to supply what we were calling the Syrian rebels, which became ISIS and some other affiliated forces. So we were supporting the bad guy under the last administration. And that's what that whole mess was about. And of course, nobody was sent to aid the ambassador or anybody um, that was involved in trying to protect the ambassador at that time. Um, so that's kind of infamous now. But uh, this president did protect our embassy, uh, mm -hmm. was under attack, and uh, but the Iranians now having lost their top general to us, if you will, their number two guy, are completely enraged. And now they've been making several threats and, and it looks like they're carrying through on it. So that's what we're here tonight for, uh, just to tell you about what's going on, that escalating situation, what's actually happening on the ground, and to talk about what the implications are both in that region and what it is to American forces, but also there's going to be implications for this nation as well.
Right. And now this General Soleimani, uh, he was not a good guy at all. Uh, so in the Iraq war, you mentioned that um, that he was responsible for killing several with uh, with that idea of that kind of copper plate that would come up and break through armor mm-hmm. and everything like that. Uh, he, it's estimated that he was responsible for 17% of the American soldiers' deaths in Iraq. Mm-hmm. So he is uh, really one of the, the top enemies, or was one of the top enemies that the United States had. And not just the United States. I mean, he was in charge also of internal suppression of dissidents. So people, in recent months, there's been protests in Iran. We don't want to be under this brutality, this brutal dictatorship anymore. We would like freedom. And uh, the response of the Iranian government always in these cases are to imprison, torture, rape, and murder their people. And uh, just in recent months, the body count in that particular crackdown is 1,500 Iranians. So it's not just Americans this guy's responsible for the blood of many different ethnicities and nations on this man's hand. He's a master terrorist. Right. And and, and so one thing I do want to point out, because I have heard kind of the, the liberal Christian outcry, uh, which went hand in hand. I'm sure we'll cover this in a, in a mm-hmm. podcast going forward, too, uh, with the recent shooting down at the Texas church where the infiltrator came in and he shot somebody and then they uh, returned fire. And, I you know, I've seen Christians go and freak out and say, well, Christians, uh, go and freak out and say, well, they shouldn't be doing that. You know, Jesus would have gone and laid down his life and all this kind of stuff. Uh, one thing I do want us to understand here is that Soleimani, as with the, the gunmen also in Texas, these are not innocent people, okay? He is not in, he was not an innocent man. He was, no. was a guilty person, and according to the law of God, the moral law of God, he needed to be slain. <laughs> he needed to be put down for the murders in which he had. It wasn't uh, he was he was known as a terrorist, not a true military leader. Right, and he was going to Baghdad, and he was plotting the next uh, stages of attacks against American forces and against our allies in the region. So it wasn't like he killed his last person. He was going there to confide and plan with some of his people on the ground to tell them what the next phases of attacks would be. So by taking this guy out, we at least stopped his portion in planning these attacks. And he was very capable, a very capable military commander. So he is a significant loss to the Iranian regime in terms of what he knew and all the connections and, and the different things he's been responsible for over the years. And it's also kind of a, it's a warning to them, letting them know that uh, you just can't keep doing this stuff without consequences. Well, of course, now they believe that they're the victims of this, that this mass murderer has finally been put a stop to, and now they want to avenge him. That's right. Now, uh, Patrick, I, I know you put together kind of a slideshow so that we can understand some of these things, and I know the, the map you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to show us the map and kind of start talking about the bases and different things like yes. that? Yes. So let's look at the, the makeup right now in the, uh, in the Middle East. So what we have here, this, this big guy right here, this is Iran. And as you can see, there's places like Pakistan and Afghanistan. This is the, the Gulf countries, if you will. The Persian Gulf comes up this way. It's a white line. It's kind of hard to see at this portion, but it goes like this. So Iran's right here. This would be Basra, Iraq, at this portion down here. And then this little nation is completely covered by flags is Kuwait. Now, this is where I did my time as a defense contractor. So you have Bahrain, Qatar, or Qatar is pronounced, United Arab Emirates, and Oman. Rounding out, and then down here would be Yemen. So, and then in the middle area here is uh, Saudi Arabia. If you keep going this way, we have Iraq, of course, which is north of Kuwait, and where we're talking about Baghdad up in here. Syria, Jordan, Lebanon right here, and then Israel right over here. So this is Israel, this tiny little speck over here is Israel, Lebanon. So that's kind of, and of course, Turkey up here. But these American flags you see, these represent military bases, U.S. military bases around Iraq and in the region. So... 
where I'm most familiar with, the bases I've been to, there are actually five bases here in Kuwait. The southern bases would be um, Camp Patriot, which is at Kuwaiti Naval Base right in the coast. You have Camp Arif John, which is Central Command for, for the whole region there. So that's where I spent most of my time. You also have the nor what we call the northern camps. You have Camp Virginia, Ali Asalim Air Force Base, which you may have heard of that, also known as Life, uh, LSA, Life Support Area. And the far northern camp would be Camp Buring, which used to be southern Iraq before the war. They, we annexed a little bit of land to the Kuwaitis after that. So heading up to Camp Buring, you actually would cross what used to be the border between Iraq and Kuwait. But across the way here, across the Persian Gulf, you have Iran and uh, missile batteries down here. This is what's called the Straits of Hormuz. So the, the land kind of juts up and it really narrows right here. This is usually where the trouble happens. This is a good, a natural choke point for the Iranians if they want to stop oil flow coming anywhere out of either Iraq, Kuwait, or any of these other countries, these are the main producers, especially Kuwait. This is where it stops. So you stop oil here or shut down this area, and Saudi Arabia also can ship oil out through here. They can go the other way too, but this is kind of a major choke point and very vital as far as logistical for, for oil production to the world. So that's how it kind of lays out right now. What the Iranians have threatened to do is to attack these different bases in the region. Now, it's, it's been estimated that in Israel now, they have some 200,000 missiles aimed at them. In this area, we're talking about, from what the intelligence reports are saying right now, they have 16,000 missiles that are lined up and have actually brought their missile launchers to the coast here of Iran. And they're actively fueling these and they're fueled up and ready to go. So you don't have to fuel up anti-aircraft missiles, but surface-to-surface -surface missiles or surface-to-ship missiles, that's what you do. These are different types of ballistic missiles. So this is what we got going on right now. They've moved their missiles into launch position. All they need, and they've no doubt got the coordinates, all they need is the order to launch. When we were at Kuwait at Camp Arif John, typically if there's going to be a missile launch from Iran to Kuwait, that was about a three-minute flight time. So we'd have about, if, they, if we catch them coming off the launchers, we had about three minutes to prepare to get to whatever safe areas a person was going to, and then see if our Patriot missile batteries and other missile defenses could take them down. Now, we have very good missile defenses. The problem is, though, we have limited numbers of missiles. So if I have the capacity to shoot down 100 missiles, let's just use that as an example, and 500 missiles are going to be shot in my direction, Obviously, I can't shoot down 500 with 100, and our missile systems, as good as they are, don't always get every missile. So if an overwhelming barrage is to take place, then there are going to be some impacts on target. And that's the problem with the type of missile production they have. If they're able to launch those missiles, then they're going to be hitting targets. And that that's means right. they're going to be hitting American targets and American military assets. Now, just a few days ago, what happened for the first time in, in modern history was there's a holy region of Iran uh, named the Qom region, the Qom province. There's a town there and there's actually a river of Qom, Q-O-M. So this is kind of a holy shrine site for the Muslim uh, Shia. In fact, 20, I think as I said, 20 million pilgrims go there yearly to visit this site. So above this mosque, this sacred mosque to the Shia Muslims in Iran, they've raised the red flag. Okay, the red flag is the flag of blood, destruction, and vengeance. This flag has not been raised in modern times. It was raised the first time after the, gra the grandson of Muhammad, named Hussein, was killed in battle, captured, killed, and beheaded. And this, they raised this red battle flag, um, a vengeance war. It took five years, but they actually got back at the people that did it. 
I don't know that they're going to wait five years now with everything lined up the way it is, but this is unprecedented in, in modern history that the flag of the red flag of blood, death, and destruction and vengeance would be raised over the mosque, but it has been. So there's been several warnings going out to different embassies over the last couple of days, including I still get warnings from the Kuwait embassy. That warning came out to me January the 3rd in an email. The Israeli embassy today and other embassies are warning Americans and other people to, to take shelter, be alert, have your travel plans ready, know what your security plans are, these sorts of things. So this is just a, a nice way of saying, you know, we could come under attack and an imminent attack might be expected. And uh, they try to downplay these things, but they're very significant when they've been uh, given in the way that they have been given all throughout this region. Now, another thing that's interesting, too, is the Iranians have notified first in Baghdad, the Iraqi forces telling them to stay at least a thousand meters away from the U.S. embassy there. Reports are that there was going to be a massive missile barrage at some point aimed at that embassy. Now, our embassy in Iraq, in the green zone, is the largest embassy in the world, the most expensive one ever built, and we fortified it against mortar and rocket attacks. But the sort of attack we're talking about would be a state-sponsored military assault. And uh, again, that would be a difficult thing to ward off if they fire in the numbers that they, they have and they've threatened to use. So with that in case, they've also now told other countries in the region, in both sides, if you don't want to get your people killed, stay away from the American military bases at least a thousand meters, which is a little over half a mile. So what they're doing is warning the locals that, that an attack is imminent. Now, this hasn't caught the Americans by surprise. In fact, over a good portion of last year, that area and our capacity and, and assets in the world, we've been building up in both Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and some of our allied regions. So we've been moving men and material out over there. And recently we sent a bunch more stuff over there. And uh, troop movements right now, you may have heard that 4,000 troops from the 82nd Airborne have been sent to uh, the region Well, they're there. And they've uh, even gone to bases such as Camp Taji, which is the base that initially was attacked uh, several days ago in that initial rocket attack that kind of started everything going. So they're dispersing, getting position with, with equipment. Um, my understanding is we probably, we've got plans. I mean, if we need to go full out, we will. Iran also realizes this. They realize they have one shot at all this, so you can expect that they will go full out, and a little bit of eschatology plays into that. We'll talk a little bit more about logistics before mm -hmm. we get into that. So that's kind of what the lines look like. Now we have, this is outside the Persian Gulf. This is getting out into uh, the area. you got India over here. Diego Garcia is down here somewhere. It's one of our main bases as an island. But we have a carrier battle force out in this area, the USS Truman. So we have that air capacity, plus our different bases, as you can see. Inserlik Air Base up in Turkey. Um, I, I read one report that the Turks have closed that in our use of it, and I've not been able to confirm that anywhere else, so that may or may not be true. So at times like this, there's always going to be some information that's not true. There's going to be some speculation given as fact that's not true. But the things that I've been telling you are pretty well um, laid down right now as far as Iranian capacity and, of course, our capacity there to take them out. Now today, a few other things happened. We had uh, the Iranians telling the United Arab Emirates, Emirates, not immigrants, <laughs> Emirates, right here, the UAE, and you see this big base right here. We, we run some ships out of here. That if they in any way help the Americans, that they'll be uh, taken out, that they will be the first victims and they will be cease to be a nation within a few days. So they're actually making overt threats to some of these countries in the region not to assist us in any way or maybe not even let us to use their facilities. So uh, it would appear, unfortunately at this point, and the reason we're here tonight is that, the, that uh, by all appearances, conflict is imminent. 
Now, when Soleimani was killed, his body was returned to Iran, and uh, they will be burying him on Tuesday. So here we are Monday evening, but realize Central Standard Time, they're about eight and a half hours ahead of us. So right now, if, say at seven o'clock today at our time, seven in the evening, right. you add eight and a half, or, or let's say nine hours to it. If you add nine hours to it, then you're looking at four in the morning. So it's getting to be late to early morning there. So once he's put in the ground, their, their official mourning processes are done for this man that they, at least in the regime, revered. Then it's time for vengeance, and then it's time for attack. Will tomorrow, our time, be that day of attack, which is just a few hours now as we stand here and broadcast this? This is the reason that we wanted to get this out to you, to let you know what's going on if you've not been following this. Um, that This is significant. It's not like anything that I've ever dealt with before for the effect of how wide it could be. Because the Iranians, unfortunately, do have nuclear weapons. Okay, there's talk about their nuclear program, but if, when you think about it in the world today, if your allies have nuclear weapons, say the Chinese, the Russians, the Pakistanis, or the North Koreans, do you not think that they can possibly sell you these weapons covertly and you have those ready to go? Well, there's speculation that some of these weapons do exist and Iran has possession of them. Now, there have been some uh, behind-the-scenes the threats that if the United States would respond to any attack that Iran is going to launch in reprisal for the killing of the general, that they would then attack Israel and with possibly nuclear weapons. And I even read one report that possible nuclear weapons against U.S. naval forces in the region. These are just reports. I don't get to go to the top intelligence meetings. Um, I can just get, go off some of my sources and uh, just give you some possibilities. So don't take these as absolute truth. But I do know that the Iranians realize that if they do touch off anything big, the, the U.S. response will be ferocious, so you've got one shot at this. The question is, what do some of the other bad players in the world do in this situation? Do they also jump in and decide this is the time to take on the United States? This we don't know. I guess time will tell. These are just possible speculations as to what could happen. This thing could escalate. Now, Trump has already sent the War Powers Act notification to Congress, so that's been taken care of. The Democrats didn't take that too well. In fact, there's some people you know, saying, why weren't we told, and this is a bad thing. Kind of let you know who the enemies of America is at this point. Um, when, when we killed maybe the world's number one terrorist, and we get pushback on that from within our own government and our own people. So um, in the Arab world, across a great portion of the Arab world, even in places like Iran, some of those people were happy. They've had family members killed by this butcher and his minions. So they were not displeased that this guy finally got taken out. So uh, there are a lot of signs that, that war is, is imminent here or, or some kind of conflict, perhaps. Mm -hmm. It looks like it will probably be war. Uh, what, what about um, planes in the air? You were mentioning something okay. uh, on Sunday about planes in the air yes. uh, in the United States uh, or outside of the United States for the United States. Um, that is another sign, isn't it? Yes. So military airplanes have transponders on those also called squitters. And uh, they have these on so that commercial traffic, air traffic controllers and that sort of thing, when they're out doing whatever they're doing on patrol or transporting from here to there, moving from here to there, that the commercial airliners and the people that run the, the different flight routes understand and know where these are so there won't be any inadvertent flights or planes crossing paths with each other. Okay, two days ago, all commercial or all military traffic, I should say, outside the United States turned their transponders off, so the U.S. military went dark. So at this point and right now, 
there's no way of commercially tracking these planes, so the enemy doesn't know where they're at or where they're moving or what numbers are moving. Uh, this is certainly something you do in a prelude to an attack. So that's a significant development. When the military goes dark, that's what we call it, um, that, that things are on the move. And there's a lot of, as I said, a lot of assets being moved around right now in position. Um, my understanding is our different cruise missiles and things of that nature already have their coordinates and they too, just like the Iranian rockets, are just waiting for the launch signal. Now, here's the, here's the real interesting point. And, and certainly our top guys know this stuff better than me. They're looking at satellite stuff and we're getting some of this information through satellite information. That's how we know that they're moving their launchers, the Iranians, to the coast to attack. So with all that said, if you know that the enemy is imminently going to attack, that there's no way this is going to be called off, and there was an Omani represent, representative, an envoy that went to Iran to try to talk some peace, the Iranians said, no, we don't even want to talk to you. They didn't even meet with him. Like, we're not interested in that. So they have vengeance in their mind and heart, and that's what it appears to be. In that case, and you know that these guys are going to launch, and it's imminent, there's no way to avoid it. The best military strategy becomes you launching first and taking out their ability to attack your friends, allies, and your bases. So that could be, and I hope is on the table, if they're sure that nothing can avert an Iranian attack, then we should hit them first, but that's not my call. So uh, do, do you want to go over just a little bit of the, um, the warnings that you, you got uh, kind of going out? Uh, I, I know on your slides there you've got, got those kind of breaking mm -hmm. down, and I know you've gone over a lot of that information already, but... No, uh, do you think that'd be good for people to see it? or I think it would. So we're going to move away from the map here for just a second and move over to the United States government has issued a national terrorism advisory to all American citizens and others inside any of the 50 states. Now this is significant because when you're overseas and you're working in an area like this, you get these advisories from time to time. Intel indicates that something is going on or some attack is planned. So you get these sorts of advisories when you're overseas. But I don't recall in recent times, at least within the last decade, of anything like this going out for the United States. Now, Iran has mentioned that they are going to consider any citizen worldwide, and that's including inside the United States, as a target, and especially leaders and, and different military high-ranking officers. They're looking for vengeance. But inside the United States is what's significant, that they've threatened um, us worldwide. So here at home, we now are under threat. So let's take a look at what the government has to say first. So this is kind of small uh, type here, but it talks about here, here at the top that the uh, United States has designated Iran a state sponsor of terrorism in 1984, and since then Iran has actively engaged in or directed an array of violent attacks against the United States and its citizens globally. The United States designated Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps a foreign terrorist organization on April 15, 2019. So just this year, it finally gets designated, but it makes you wonder why it wasn't all these other years, for its direct involvement in terrorist plotting. So this was issued January the 4th, 2020 at 5.15 p.m. This particular warning expires January 18th, 2020 at 1 p.m. Um, this sort of thing really doesn't expire with these people, so, but that's what they're saying. So it talks about the United States carried out a lethal strike in Iraq, killing Iranian IRGC Quds Force Commander Qasem Soleimani, while Soleimani was in Iraq, which he did, we did, Iranian leadership and several affiliates, affiliated violent extremist organizations publicly stated they intend to retaliate against the United States. At this time, we have no information indicating a specific credible threat to the homeland. That might be fudging a little bit. They probably actually do, but they're trying to keep things a little calm for people. Um, uh, 
Iran and its partners such as Hezbollah have demonstrated the intent and capability to conduct operations in the United States. Previous homeland-based photos have included, among other things, scouting and planning against infrastructure targets and cyber-enabled attacks against a range of U.S.-based targets. Let's talk about that for just a second. Well, and just uh, just one quick note uh, to to those who, and I just realized I'm not in the picture, uh, but to, <laughs> to, to those who uh, to who are watching this, and, and you mentioned it's really small print. Mm-hmm. I just noticed I can't quite even see it on on mine here. Uh, I'm tracking the the video. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll redo this video and, and put the slides in so that everyone can see this. Uh, that'll be up probably late tonight or early this morning. But, but uh, live, you're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, what we're doing yeah but there really is something on that slide there, that TV I'm not, screen. So. I'm not doing all this from memory. Um, so. <laughs> so, um, so we know in the past that there have been, um, and, and this is Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, two-star, retired, um, one of the founding members of Delta Force, um, Lieutenant, Lieutenant General Boykin has mentioned that there have been several sensitive sites, I believe the number is well over 600, sensitive sites surveilled in this country by these sorts of, of terrorist groups and cells, sleeper cells as they're called, that in the event of what's the Muslim world known as zero hour, which would be an indication, zero hour to them would be a, a signal to attack inside the United States. So zero hour, when that commences, these sensitive sites will be surveilled by people who have been trained to attack and do different things. So what we're talking about is power generation, such places as dams, power stations, even nuclear plants, if they can get in and do their work, power substations, um, bridges, um, even airports. Um, Don't want to scare anybody too much, but the ability to shoot down a a jumbo jet would, would pretty much, one jet going down would be bad news for the aviation industry in this country. Um, also population centers, water supplies, just different things like that. Um, any place, and you can imagine simultaneous attacks of this nature taking place that are coordinated would be quite a psychological blow to us. We, we have in past wars, for the most part, been able to maintain a semblance of normalcy in the United States. And there's unfortunately a thing called a normalcy bias that since that's always been, in my lifetime, it will always be so. So you hear warnings about this and you kind of hoo-hoo them a little bit. Uh, until the world dramatically changes for the worse, as it has at different times in world history, for populations that were unsuspecting and unable to comprehend that they were at risk. Well, in today's technological world, and with these folks being here, there is a definite risk. Legal immigration over the years, through the past several administrations, and illegal uh, alien invasions um, through the past several administrations, have been nothing but let people come in here and get in position to do these sorts of things. There are active... Hezbollah training centers in the United States that we know of and other affiliated terrorist organizations. So they are here and they are waiting. And right now these people are hoping that they get a chance to do what they've been trained to do. Now the mindset of the Muslim of course is the only sure way to get to heaven is to die in jihad. So um, I'm not trying to bash Muslims, I'm just telling you how it is. And they are certainly willing and able, they are not cowardly people. They are committed to the cause and they're willing to die in the attempt to kill the enemy. And you and I are the enemy. Israel is the enemy. The Western world is, is the greater enemy of Islam. Any non-Muslims are. But specifically right now, the United States to the uh, Iranians is called the Great Satan. And Israel is known as the Little Satan. So we are the ones that are in, firmly in the crosshairs. If they have the ability to wipe us out, they certainly will do it. And even if they don't, they will do the best with what they've got to try to achieve that. So this isn't any joke. Um, there will be casualties. This won't be a, as clean a war as some of them we've engaged in the past where we don't really um, absorb any casualties of, of major significance. 
This could be a, a bit messy for us here in the United States and overseas. Do we have the ability to wipe them out? We do. Um, if there is a, uh, a nuclear attack on Israel by the Iranians, uh, the, the Israelis also, one of the worst kept secrets in the world, have nuclear weapons. Um, in fact, if they're being overrun, they have what's called the Samson option, where they launch on all enemies. We also have, obviously, the capability of launching a full-scale nuclear strike on Iran if that uh, becomes part of the issue. If the Iranians use nuclear weapons or attempt to use nuclear weapons, you can expect an in-kind response from either us or Israel or one of the allies. So uh, one thing I, I want to talk about, because what you're talking about really reminds me of an article that you wrote. Uh, I'm not even sure when you wrote it, because I think it was before you, uh, we had met. Mm -hmm. um, but the greatest prep... The greatest preparation, because I think what you're talking about here is that there are going to be some physical preparations that we probably need to, to start thinking about. And, mm -hmm. and I want to talk about some of those. But before we do, uh, there is a greater prep than that that we do need to, uh, to have in our life. And uh, do you want to tell everybody, what, what is that great prep that we need to have in our life? That greatest prep is faith, because no matter how long you live this life or how short this life is, you eventually go out into eternity and you will meet. God. You will either meet God as your judge or Jesus as your Savior. Um, so the point is right now, whatever happens in this life, and we get distracted by this sort of thing, and we get all worried sometimes of some of the things going on in life, the most important thing you can do, because no matter how you live or how safely, you will one day face your own death or your leaving of this world, shall we say. And the only way to, to go to heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is the only way. There's many other paths but they all lead to judgment. You'll meet God that way. Jesus Christ is the most important thing right now. The Bible tells us perfect love casts out all fear. We should not be fearful right now. We should be aware, and maybe we should be even more so concerned, not just for our safety, but for those of our loved ones that are not saved. And maybe this would be a good time or an impetus for us to, to maybe contact that person. And if we've been trying, try again. Keep praying about this. The God of heaven, the God of the universe, knows everything that's going on. There's nothing that, that's happening that he doesn't know. There's no top secret meeting he's not aware of, no intent of any heart that he's not aware of. So be rest assured that things happen according to his will and towards his plan. His plan is perfect. So no matter what happens, it moves toward the final inevitable conclusion of Christ coming back, reigning over the world. So the, the question here tonight is not do we live or die, the question is, at least in the temporal manner, do we live or die in the eternal manner? And that's the only salvation is through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you, was buried, raised from the dead, showing his power over death and everything else, that he has the ability to save you. And that's our plea to you tonight. We're not trying to scare you with this. It's been laid on our hearts to make this broadcast because we believe it is significant what's going on. And we don't want you caught off guard, unknowing of what's going to happen or possibly will happen. Um, these things will come to pass. Christ talked about wars and rumors of wars, for instance. Revelation also talks about different wars going on. The Old Testament talks about different wars going on. Does this play into it? It significantly does because Israel will be drawn into this conflict one way or the other once it gets going because Israel is the hated enemy of, of Iran. That's right. And just, just a couple of prophetic uh, implications here. We won't get into to this a whole lot because I know we've been, we've been going for a little while now. But um, Damascus is, is something that was mentioned a few times in a lot of your reports uh, that you got in the intel that, that, you, uh, that you got. And uh, there's kind of a, maybe a uh, target on Damascus. And of course, uh, there, there is a prophecy that Damascus will be destroyed. Uh, basically Isaiah overnight. 17. 
And then also the Gog and Magog War, uh, this is something that this could kind of kick off in that sense. Ezekiel 38 and 39 talks about the Gog-Magog Wars. Now, we're not talking about these are imminent to happen. We're talking about these are possibilities that could be dominoes that are set in motion because of this instance. If Israel's attacked, a significant attack portion of that from missile attack would come from Syria. Um, Iran has a significant presence there, and Syria has a, a, a notable and sizable missile capability thanks to the Iranians. So if there is a large missile attack on Israel, one could expect a goodly number of those would be coming from Syrian territory. If the Israelis take that as, a, you know, and, it's, and especially if they're using chemical, biological, or trying some sort of nukes, that would be, they've already told uh, Damascus before that we'll make a, a parking lot out of you. And um, that's, the, of course, the capital of Syria is Damascus. So a uh, potential um, outcome of that would be Damascus being destroyed, just as it says. And it will be destroyed. It's not a matter of will it be destroyed. It will be destroyed. God has said it will be so. We don't know the timing. So don't take this to the bank that we're making any predictions tonight, tomorrow, next week. We're just telling you the possibilities, and we're also telling you because the Bible says so, it will happen. You, you don't want to set a date on the end of the world. No. Jesus said no man knows but the Father. <laughs> so, no. uh, yeah, it's a foolish venture when you hear people saying, uh, on Wednesday at 3 o'clock, this is going to happen or something like that. Shut those people down. They don't know what they're talking about. No man knows the hour. No one but the Father. Right. And, and there is one thing, too, that, that I do want to make uh, mention of, because I think this is important for us to understand. And, and that is, uh, when we look at this, uh, there's no doubt the United States, on paper, is much more powerful than Iran. Uh, we could go and, on paper, blow up Iran, do anything we want to do to Iran. Uh, we could win. Israel is more powerful than Iran also, and, and there are allies. We have the stronger allies and everything like that. But one thing I do want to remind us of, Scripture is clear. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to all people. And, and we think of that in America. We have not been living very righteously. Uh, we have a nation that is uh, really marked with the blood, the innocent blood of children through Planned Parenthood and killing of them. We, we have the, uh, you know, shaking our fist at God or laughing at God's institution of marriage uh, when it comes to that idea of homosexuality and, and other perversions that we have today. And w we think about all of this. Fornication, pornography, yeah. adultery, it's presented as entertainment in movies, it becomes the American ideal, atheism in schools. Um, just all manner of things anti-God, not just neutral, but anti-God and God's order. So no nation can continue on, even when it was blessed by God richly for our one-time faith and reverence to God. There is judgment and there is judgment coming. God gives victory in battles. If you'd looked on paper, the David versus Goliath, I, I'd have put my money on Goliath. Right. But God gave victory to David in that instance for his glory and for his purpose. We don't know what the outcome of a conflict like this would be. On paper, as you said, Iran doesn't have a chance. Iran has possible Russian-Chinese help. We don't know how that goes. We know if we were a righteous nation, I wouldn't be, even be worried about this right now. I'm not worried about it because it's going to happen. I can't do anything about it, neither can you. But there are physical preparations you should take, and we'll talk about that here. First, I'm going to get into that eschatology we were talking about, right. so the Iranian mindset. So in Shia Islam, there's the belief that the Mahdi will return. This is their version of their savior. And particularly to the Shia side of, of Islam, there's the idea that the Mahdi, also known as the 12th Imam, will return at a time of great bloodshed and conflict. Now, the Iranians have believed for years now, and they've actually been broadcasting this on TV for the past several years, that they have an important place in end times fulfillment of this prophecy. They believe that if they can stir up or cause or create this great bloodshed conflict, 
being the bigger the better. Nuclear would be fine. They're not worried about the consequences of taking on the United States. They believe if they can start this thing, that the Mahdi will then return and conquer the world for Islam. In effect, he will come back and take care of the enemies of both Iran and Islam, chief amongst them Israel and the United States. So, you, as you can see, with this sort of a mindset, there is no negotiating with these people. There is no reasoning with these people. They believe they are divinely placed at this time in history to initiate this conflict, what they consider the end of the world. So, that's where their mindset is. So, looking at it that way, when you have that sort of an enemy that you can't reason with, you can't negotiate with, the only thing they understand is, is brute, overwhelming military force. We have that capacity, and this might be the time we have to use it. Yeah, and, and this is, I mean, this is huge. When, when we stop and we think about this, especially that eschatology that you're talking about and that Mahdi coming back, because we would probably have a, um, or not coming back, but rising up to power, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a name for this person, uh, probably. <laughs> yeah, the Bible. Uh, or, or how it would fit into our eschatology if it were to work out this way. We're, once again, we're not sure, but... Right now, it looks like that's a pretty good possibility, and we would call that... That person sounds very much like the Antichrist in the Christian Bible. The, the Savior of Islam sounds very much like the Antichrist. So, um, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see how this plays out. Um, but it's very interesting that Satan always mirrors what he knows is going to happen. He'll make use of it. He knows God's prophecies are true. How can he twist it to his advantage? How can he get people lost and following him to destruction by... by actually having a different version of what God says, but towards his design. So that's what we're dealing with there. What happens in the United States, you might ask? Well, this is a long ways away. You know, I, I, you know, I, I feel sorry for our guys, but you know, how's that, how's that going to affect me here? As we already talked about, and as the warning is indicating, there could be attacks in this country. So the results of those attacks, what we were talking about, could be these, and I'm going to go over these real quick. So if, if there are chemical or biological weapons obviously smuggled in, that wouldn't be good for anybody. Radiological weapons some sort of a dirty nuclear weapon. So wherever these things would be detonated or set off, that would be a panic situation. Obviously, you don't want to be caught in that. Um, if the infrastructure, which means power supplies are knocked down, either through cyber attack or physical attack or even nuclear attack or EMP attack, this is not beyond the capability of some of our enemies to do these things. So you're talking about living your life without electricity for an extended period of time, at the very minimum, without fresh water, without police and fire service, uh, without food supply or resupply. Um, an immediate result of this, even if these weren't worst case scenarios, would be um, this sort of conflict. We're already watching oil prices going up in, in, because of this, worldwide crude oil prices. We're also noticing gold go up. But oil prices then, in case the Gulf is shut down because of war, you could see oil prices and gas prices at the pump easily double, possibly triple. So what does that mean to you? Obviously it costs more money to go to the store or go to work, but also realize that most of the stuff that you buy at the store comes in by truck. So those prices of fuel are going to be added into your prices for food. So you might see food prices go way up. You might see, uh, and of course in cases like this, people start to panic, water supplies. Um, people buy bottled water. What if your water shut off? Do you have the ability to purify water or, or otherwise function? Um, if this stuff doesn't kick off, this is something to think about right now because at some point this stuff becomes a probability. So if you have time, that's great. Don't panic. I'm not telling you to panic right now. Don't go out and, and charge up your credit card. Pray about this stuff. What would, would God have you do? It is not a lack of faith to make physical preparations for the coming storm that we see coming. 
It actually is faith because God told us these things would come. If he hadn't issued those warnings to us, we wouldn't know the biblical significance. But the fact that he did issue those warnings to us, it would be a faithful thing to heed that advice. What good is a warning left unheeded? That's right. And it's, uh, you, you know, so many thoughts are going through my mind. Um, one is, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And that is that they ate, they drank, they were merry. Uh, and, and the idea is, is that they weren't watching for the Lord. They weren't looking for the signs. They weren't looking for uh, what was going to happen. And uh, so I, I think that is something that we do need to consider, that we ought to be uh, good stewards of what God has given us. And we do need to be watching. We do need to be looking for the signs. And we do need to be preparing ourselves um, for, for eschatology, for what, what is prophesied and what will happen. And this idea of, by the way, things are not supposed to get better. Uh, now, right. we're, we're going to fight for things to get better. We're, we're, that's not a, an idea to go into lay down because we don't know when Christ is going to come back. We're not taking our talents and burying them in the sand. We're going and we're investing in them and we're going and we're, we're, we're trying to double these things that God has given us. Okay, we're, we're trying are, to reach the lost and we're trying to edify and support the saved and mature the saved and disciple the saved. So we have Absolutely. lots of work to do. Yeah, I mean, right. We, we have things that we're to do. We're not sitting here and, and saying, oh, run, panic, run away. That's not what we're saying. No. We're, we're sitting here saying, buckle down, but be prepared. Be prepared and keep on keeping on. In times of great crisis is a time when many lost souls will be wandering and seeking and desperately trying to find answers. If we can be that rock for them, we can give them the information they need to eternal life, regardless of what happens in this life. So that's, that's, it could actually be a real opportunity for us to reach the loss. So um, I'm excited in, one, in that fashion to see what's going to happen next. I don't look forward to some of the gloomier things that are possibilities. But then again, Lord, pray for strength to Lord see you through, protect you, to, to give you stamina to get through all these things. But um, as I said, it's nothing you or I can stop. I don't have the ability to, to calm the Iranians down or de-escalate that situation. Um, it is what it is. And, and people say, well, this could be, you know, uh, the deep state's doing this. And, and, and yeah, they might be. But at this point, when it comes down to it, whatever the background motivations are and the clandestine stuff that's been going on, and I, I know a lot of stuff's going on, um, we're talking about the actual effect of what's going to happen or possibly is going to happen. My assessment, my best assessment is, and I've been doing kind of geopolitical assessments for a while, is, um, oh, I hit that thing away. There we go. There we go. I like that up there. Uh, my best guess is right now that it looks like um, it, we wouldn't be doing it tonight if the attack didn't seem imminent as far as an Iranian military response against U.S. targets and our allies. Um, as I said earlier when we started this program, we thought about doing this tomorrow night, but there just seems to be an impetus. In Iran, soon it's going to be daybreak, and Soleimani is going to be buried. And I hope that we're doing podcast down the road and, and this is just kind of a warning to you for a future event it may or may not be that's up to the lord so hopefully we have an, another chance to do podcast um, but uh, tonight we wanted to come to you with what's on our hearts um, and we'll have to take that where it is that's right well uh anything else we need to go over specifically concerning the the things with iran there, there's just lots of things going on I've, I've heard of individual troop movements that are taking place as far as on the u.s side um, the missiles have been dispersed to the Iranian proxies in different places, and they have their plans on where to set up and what to attack. Um, you, you know, it is, it is kind of interesting uh, because you think about where we are as a nation internally. Uh, there's a lot of turmoil that's going on right now, of course, with the impeachment of Donald Trump. 
with uh, all all these different kind of things that are going on, and it's a lot of ridiculousness, frankly, that's going on. And I think a lot of stuff that's that's escalating internally could have been pointing to a civil war, uh, to to a point. In fact, uh, I still would not be surprised if we went into a civil war. But I was was talking to to one individual. Um, and uh, they, they presented this idea to me, and I thought this was pretty good. Uh, they said, you know, we're not going to go into a civil war. And I, I'm going, what do you mean? You just agreed with me about all the, the things that are happening. And this guy was just right there with me. He goes, we're not going to go into a civil war because the, the rulers that be, the, the world powers, uh, you know, back in the Obama years, I think it was in 2010, they went over and they went, went through the scenarios. And as they went through the scenarios, they realized it would just be too big of a loss for the United States to do a civil war, which I understand. I mean, there'd be an incredible loss uh, for the United States to do that. Uh, somebody would be losing power. Lots of people would be losing their life. And the United States probably wouldn't come out as the nation's number one power after that. But he said what they would do to stop that civil war from happening would be to kick off World War III. And... Uh, really, we've kind of been in a lot of conflict all around the world here recently, and I know that China and Russia have been preparing for World War III, and this would give them a reason, uh, or potentially could give them a reason, to kind of kick that off. Now, this doesn't mean that they will. As you mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, this program, we don't know what China, how China and Russia are going to respond. We have absolutely no idea how they're going to respond, uh, if they want to be involved, if they don't want to be involved in this, this, uh, this conflict or this potential war uh, that's happening. But it is something just to kind of keep in the back of our mind as to, to what's kind of how the, the world stage is setting. Well, Chinese military doctrine sees an inevitable conflict with the United States. So it's going to happen, they believe. So they gear, like uh, their weapon systems... Um, they gear their weapon systems to attack our strengths and attack our weaknesses. Um, and the Russians have, well, just recently this past week, as an example of this sort of alliance coming together, the Russians, Chinese, and Iranians conducted naval exercises in the Persian Gulf. So um, there are alliances there. Um, if there's a time to go after the United States, it's when we are uh, engaged. I mean, it would be a prime time. And of course, our military knows this, so everybody's on worldwide alert. Our military is on worldwide alert right now. So. Um, high, high anticipation of something happening and spillovers. In Africa and Kenya just the other day, we had an attack on our base there by Al-Shabaab, which is another terrorist organization, Muslim, um, that, that killed a contractor and two soldiers on our site. So there's, there's also been multiple attacks um, just the last few days, rocket attacks, missile attacks, not just on our embassy, but some of our other bases. And even a Canadian base was hit. Mosul, Balad, um, we have a friend, uh, my wife and I, um, at least one person who's from India working in Iraq, he's being evacuated. So he's going out now. He's going home. So he's lost his job, but hopefully he won't lose his life. And this is what's going on right now. So personnel in that region are moving. In fact, I don't know, I, I think I maybe said this earlier, we have religious and political leaders in some of these countries moving to remote areas of their countries, away from the conflict, away from population centers, away from military bases, in anticipation of what's to come. So that's also significant. These people have been warned behind the scenes what's going to happen. They're getting themselves and their families out of harm's way. Well, our soldiers and the bulk of those populations don't have that option. Um, so the Iranians said the only thing that they want, you know, that could possibly avert is, is us completely out of the region. That's not going to happen. Right, right. We're not going to come out of the, the region there. And, and I do want to go ahead and say this too. Um, 
I, I may be able to catch it. I may not uh, be able to catch it. But if you do have any questions, please go ahead and, and put them on this, uh, this live stream here, and we'll, we'll try to answer them. Um, like I said, it, it shows up on my phone for just a couple seconds there, and then it goes away. So I may be able to catch it. I may not. I will try. <laughs> Uh, but, but we will, we are willing to answer some questions there. I've seen a few of the comments, uh, that, that have come through a lot of people just saying, Hey, that they're checking in and that they're here and, and, okay. and thanking people. And I'm assuming they're thanking people for your information. Cause I haven't had too much. So that's good. <laughs> well, I mean, so we, we got to keep um, a biblical perspective on this, right? We're not, we're not a secular station We're we're of course coming to you from a Christian worldview and a Christian concern for you. And if, if we didn't have a concern for you and a concern for what's going on, if both those things weren't together, we wouldn't be on here tonight. I had plans for tonight, and you probably did too. But uh, it was more important we come to you tonight and, and put this information to you. And you have to sift it, and you have to pray about it, and you have to make a determination what you think your responsibility is given what's happening in this moment. Right. And if you don't have any questions, please put up smart remarks because we like those too. Uh, <laughs> um Oh, you know, talk about this from a, a Christian perspective too. Uh, this is this is interesting because a, a lot of times um, we have, and I and I'm seeing this with the idea of I, I saw a comment from a famous pastor today, and and I I didn't verify the quote. It was somebody quoting them, so I'm not going to say the person's name because uh, I don't know if they really, you know, they, I didn't see the link as to, to where it was. So anybody can put a quote around anybody and put somebody's name next to it, you know, and, and mm. say that. But, but the quote was, um, if Christians engage or when Christians engage in politics, they make, uh, sinners a enemy instead of a, uh, mission field. Now I, I responded and I said, you know, when, when, uh, when Christians engage in politics, uh, they, they show sinners the moral law and they become convicted and they repent of their sin. So that, you know, that's my response. That's kind of our position. But I do kind of want to go over that myth because it is an interesting myth to think about this mm -hmm. as some people would go and think that it's completely, that we're to be passive in these kind of things. Uh, should we be passive in the face of uh, Iran and uh, the, the, the different people here? Or is this evil that we are standing against? Well, we know that historically evil is not stopped of its own accord. Evil has to be physically confronted and stopped by the so-called good guys. Um, August 30th, 1939, the people of Poland went to sleep that night. There was some rumors of, of rumblings in Europe of possible war. There had been a peace accord signed between Neville Chamberlain of Great Britain and Adolf Hitler of Germany, and that everything appeared to be going okay. And people went to bed that night. People were probably poo-pooing the idea that a conflict could possibly happen. September 1st, 1939, Hitler launches Blitzkrieg white, Lightning War against Europe. Poland is overrun, and the people are killed and enslaved and become part of that horrible story that started World War II in Europe. So the point there is that Hitler was appeased, evil was appeased. People thought nothing could happen in their country. And then the very next day in Poland, and it spread across the rest of Europe, life was never the same again. That normalcy bias that people are used to, was gone. Reality set in that the world was a different place. We are possibly at that moment right now in the United States and across history. If we do nothing in the face of evil, and especially with Muslims in Iran in particular, they, as I said earlier, they look at this as a sign of weakness. They have to be physically confronted and subdued. The only thing that they respect is superior military strength. That's it. So to say that we as Christians are supposed to be passive and sit back, if we believe that, we would be speaking German now, those of us that were still alive, or Japanese. So 
Um, evil has to be physically confronted. War is never a good thing, but sometimes it's the only option that, that ensures survival. So, yeah, we a, a biblical worldview defines our politics, okay? Now, a, a non-biblical worldview definitely leads to a different set of politics. The danger to Christians, though, if you have your politics set by your Christian worldview, is sometimes to get so involved with politics that that, li that lens kind of flips, where now you start looking at Christianity through the lens of your politics. It should always be your Christianity is the lens by which you see and view everything else. Your Christianity defines your politics. We are against those things that God said is evil. We are against those things that God abhors. We are for the good, for the righteous things. We are for these things. And as a Christian and as a, a citizen, we have the right to express our opinion. We have the right to vote accordingly. And then we see how things wash out in the political process. All right. Well, we did have one question here. Uh, are, are we going to be on for a little while? If so, uh, they'd like to pause and go connect to the, to the TV. Do you think we're going to be on for a little while here? Do we got some more to say? I mean, we can talk about nothing for a long time. Yeah, but, we're pretty good at that. Uh, <laughs> we can make uh, mountains no. out of molehills. Yeah. Um, I don't. Not know. that this is nothing. That's not what I was trying to yeah. infer. But I'm saying but, we can we can waste time if we need to. Yeah, um, we can. I mean, we can. Well, there's there's always lots of things. I'm I'm still trying to think because there's a lot of information. Yeah, go connect your TV right now if you want to. Um, there there's lots of information that I've been sifting for the past several days. So I've been getting updates and. And uh, some of it mentions, like I said, specific units that are on the move and different places they've moved to. Um, I've got an idea where, where some of the equipment comes from. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to mention anything that would by any means tip off or cause problems for our troops in the area. So I'm just trying to give stuff that's more generally known. And uh, uh, they've certainly got their, their plans in order. But um, the concerning thing here is if Israel does get, or not Israel, but Iran is allowed to launch first, and they can launch in rapid succession, those missiles are going to go somewhere. Um, we have the ability to take out their launch sites in pretty quick order, too. So they might not be able to get everything up and running that they want to. Now, Donald Trump has warned Iran that we would hit 52 different sites in Iran that they picked out. And that number is significant right. in the fact that in 1979, they took 52 hostages from our embassy. So in honor of those people, he's picked out a site. Some of these are cultural sites. Um, and of course, they're going, oh, you can't hit a cultural site. Let me tell you, the Iranians have no qualms about destroying anybody or anything. They don't care if it's cultural or not. Um, do not feel sorry for them when they bring this down on top of their own head if, if some of their sites are hit. Absolutely doesn't mean anything. It's not going to enrage them any further. They can't be enraged any further. It's not going to recruit any more people that already hate your guts and want to attack you. It doesn't do any of that stuff. Do not let liberal thinking invade your thoughts in this process. They are who they are. They're going to do what they're going to do. And it's our response in the strongest ways possible to defend ourselves. God gave us the gift of life. He gave us this nation. We should be defending both. We should be defending ourselves, our families, our, our, our countrymen, and our nation, and also our allies. So, I, you know, I do think to understand uh, the conflict of what's, what's happening so far, and I am intentionally calling it a conflict because it hasn't been declared a war yet. And so right now it is a conflict, I would say. Now, an um, interesting point there. I'm glad you brought yeah. that up. So in case of a violent military aggression, the president can go to Congress, and it's Congress's job by the Constitution to actually declare war. Okay, so there are things he can do. He can do things in defense. He can order the strike that he did. He has these authorities. But as in World War II, when we were attacked at Pearl Harbor by the Japanese forces, the president went to Congress and asked for a declaration of war, which we got something... There was one dissenting vote. There was actually one person voted against that declaration of war. I don't know if they got reelected next time. But, but 
So when the president does this and he goes to Congress, we're going to find out who's a friend of America because we're talking about American lives and, and our allies in the region. Okay, throw your politics out for a moment. We're and we're talking about, well, I've already talked about what could happen in this country, which could be multiple attacks in this country by allied forces with Iran. But in a declaration of war then, our allies in NATO and, and other military alliances are then obligated to throw in with us. Okay, they have mm -hmm. to declare a state of war. So this is an escalation at that point. What do the allies of Iran do? Do they also throw in with Iran and make this the big confrontation? Or do they say, you know, it, their aggressiveness is finally caught up with them and we're not going to stick our necks out and, and get chopped just like they're about to get. But I'm glad you brought that up because a declaration of war is a significant, if Congress would do it, I honestly and, and sadly have to tell you, I wonder if the democratically controlled House have the moral fortitude, the guts, and the America First attitude to actually do that thing if it's put before them. The Senate, I believe, would because there's a Republican majority, and there are also some, I believe, Democratic senators, and I believe any Democrat in the House should take into consideration that Americans don't necessarily like to see their country and their military forces attacked like what's being threatened here, um, regardless if you think it's justified or not. Um, and I don't know how you could think it's not. This guy, again, General Soleimani was a butcher and responsible for the deaths of, of, of thousands of people. So, so, so we just got an I take it personal. Yeah. So, so we just got an excellent question here uh, and uh, from Chris Davies, and it was, are um, Muslim cultural centers, and I, and I assume you're talking about mosques there, uh, that, are, are mm -hmm. they used to hold military equipment? Uh, excellent question. Ex so, excellent. So historically, the mosque has been the center of Islamic military strategy. So Muhammad himself would use the mosque to both plan attacks, to recruit, to train, to store weapons, and then out of those, almost like barracks. In fact, the Prime Minister of, of Turkey, Ergodon, has, has said before that the minarets, which are the, the highest points of a mosque, those are our bayonets. The mosque itself is our barracks. And this is a good, mm -hmm. fundamental, faithful Muslim. So yes, and we found this even in Europe in recent years, when the, with the mm -hmm. uh, Muslim populations growing there, and several attacks have taken place in Europe. When they went to mosques, they found cached weapons, explosives, machine guns, um, bomb-making supplies, which are, this stuff is all illegal in Europe, of course. Of course, you can't be making bombs in Can't have in a butter country. knife in Europe, I don't think. Yeah, pretty much not. But, but this is part of that, that yes, the mosques have been traditionally, because Muhammad did it, and Muslims emulate the Prophet that these are training centers. Now there's, a, there's one face they give to the general population, especially when they're minority. We're peace-loving, we want to show you Islam, the, the religion of peace. But there's an inner circle, while they're, they're finding out who the true believers might be, they are training for the zero hour we were just talking about a bit ago. They believe that conflict in an infidel nation is not just inevitable, it's called for. Mm -hmm. So yes, um, I would say that the mosque, many mosques, maybe not all mosques or, or cultural centers, but most of them, I would say, are centers for exactly that, and I think they should all be suspect. Right, and and so I, well, I already get called a fear monger enough and, and all kinds of stuff, so I'll just go ahead and say what, <laughs> what I'm going to say. Uh, you, you know, that is why we should be all on, on red alert kind of with what is going on, because there is probably a mosque or a cultural center near you. I mean, we live in the the middle of nowhere in Iowa, right? I mean, maybe not quite the middle of nowhere when it comes to Iowa. We live in one of the bigger areas in Iowa, but still, on a national scale, it's it's a, you know, anthill. And, uh, mm -hmm. it, it, and we've got a cultural center or, or a mosque here, and it wouldn't surprise me one bit if they had uh, 
some military training there or some weapons and things like that. And I'm not saying that they do. I, I don't know. But what I'm saying is, is that it is a place that should be suspect. We should be aware of that. And if something does break off uh, or break out overseas, if we do get attacked, if a uh, if war does get declared, um, Muslims all around might be emboldened to go and attack. That's kind of part of their, uh, their, their, their culture. I was just reading this morning on our first national war uh, after the uh, the Revolutionary War, which was our with... first foreign war. Our first foreign war, yeah, was was with the Bar- Barbary pirates uh, against mm-hmm. them and the Muslim or the Muslim... Or Mohammedans, as they were called. Right, were different countries. names for this. And they were our first foreign conflict. Right, and, and they basically thought, said that they were waging war on us because we were a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it goes on later, and it, and it says that we're not one of the Christian nations. But what they were referring to, uh, the, the Muslims, were saying we were a Christian nation that was part of the Crusades, and we were going and distinguishing, saying, like, hey, we are a Christian nation, but mm-hmm. we didn't do any crusading as Americans. Yeah, we're um, different. Well, but, but, 1776, yeah. there weren't Crusades. Yeah, that, that already so. happened. But <laughs> even at that time, through the presidencies of our first president, George Washington, and then John Adams finally getting Thomas Jefferson, by the time Jefferson took office, 20% of our gross national product was paid to these Barbary pirates, which would be like the mm-hmm. countries of Tunisia and Libya in that region of northern Africa. 20% of our gross domestic product was given to them in ransom to allow our ships to pass through and trade in that area. It was that Thomas Jefferson, having read the Quran, he understood the nature of the enemy and what their commands were and what they were forced to do. That's when he sent the Navy and the Marine Corps over there to finish that problem. That's what was needed. Obviously, ransom doesn't work. Appeasement doesn't work. Going back to what we were talking about with evil a while ago, the only thing that works is superior military force to force them into submission. If you let them go... In fact, there's two different military doctrines in Islam. If they have the upper hand, there is no peace with them. They will utterly conquer you, kill you, convert you, or keep you as slaves. Only when they're in a weaker position do they sue for peace. And that peace is not a lasting peace. It doesn't amount to anything other than the paper it's written on. That peace is simply merely to buy them time, to reorganize, to rearm, to get a different strategy, and come at you again. That's the history of 1,400 years of Islam. Not only is that the the history, but that's still what we're dealing with today. And I think that's so important to understand uh, what's happening with Iran. You know, if you go and you turn on Fox News, you're going to go and hear good information, probably, uh, about what has happened and different things like that. Uh, if you go and turn on CNN, you'll find fake news. Um, but one thing you're not going to find at, at, at Fox News so much is this understanding of the Islamic eschatology, the Islamic uh, way of life. They're treating this as just almost Western civilization over in Iran and just going and re- reporting on kind of what's happening. That doesn't really give you the full story. What gives you the full story is understanding a little bit on how they think and, and how they think is really pushed by what they believe. And so that's why we really cover that idea of their eschatology and why that's so mm-hmm. important, uh, but also other tenets of their faith that's found in the Quran. Um, and in the Hadiths. In the Hadiths. And, and one thing that's important to understand about Muslims is that a lot of them, yes, they're cultural Muslims in a sense of uh, they're not super practicing Muslims. You know, just recently I, I had a discussion uh, with somebody who was a Muslim, I had an opportunity to talk to him about religion and stuff like that, and, and they were obviously not a practicing Muslim. They would be considered apostate Muslims by the tenets of the faith. So the other Muslims, and that's why they kill one another too. <laughs> but, but it was interesting, because they, they told me that I should basically go on their, um, oh, I, I'm just totally uh, blanking on the word, but uh, the pilgrimage. 
the pilgrimage. The Hajj. Yeah, yeah, the Hajj. And, and, and go and see uh, th- this great site. And they said, it's beautiful and all this and that. And they've been there a couple times. And I realized they're obviously not a practicing Muslim. It was a woman who didn't have a, a, a head covering. So I was pretty sure they weren't a practicing Muslim. And yet they were telling me to go and to do that because they had done it twice. Even though they're cultural Muslims, they're still Muslims. Well, here's the real problem with that, too. So the Hajj takes place, the pilgrimage is to Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia, the holiest place of Islam. This is where Muhammad was born. This is where Muhammad went back to and established his seat of power after he'd been driven out initially. But to go to Mecca, you have to be a Muslim. A non-Muslim is not, by law, allowed into Mecca. So for a Muslim to tell you you should go on a Hajj and a pilgrimage to Mecca... Um, they basically would be telling you to march to your death because you would not be allowed in there. And an infidel trying to get into Mecca at that holy season for Muslims would not turn out well for you. So somebody's trying to get you executed. <laughs> well, <laughs> probably not the first person. So, <laughs> um, but, but I say that to say that if we do go to war with Iran, there will be an uprising within the United States. And a lot of this is because of the... Um, and the foreign invasion that we've had through illegal Im- immigration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the it's not just people coming across the border looking to have a better life for their family or to get on welfare or whatever. There's a there's a lot of drug cartels come across. And in fact, Hezbollah has been working with the drug cartels. They're making money off the drug cartels and, and getting money here to finance their terrorist activities too. So these are very cunning and shrewd people. And uh, they, they teach some brutality that the drug cartels were looking for. They have certain expertises in torture that the drug, because these are vicious people too. But uh, there are active terrorists that have come across our border. We have at the border found prayer rugs. And we found Islamic materials and, and Qurans at the border or across the border showing the to- sort of people that have come across and are now embedded in our country. And, of course, money comes from overseas. You're saying, well, how do, they, how do they exist? Money comes from overseas to support these people, put them in housing, affiliate them with different mosques and different groups in the area to train them, to feed them, to house them, to supply them with weapons, waiting for that zero hour we talked about. There's a real danger in the world today, especially in American mind, because we tend to be very generous in, in people and giving people the shadow or, or the, the benefit of the doubt. Um, the problem is you're trying to put your way of American thinking, your Western way of thinking, into the minds of these people that think very different than you. Very different. A very foreign way of thinking to what most Americans would believe. Again, things like mercy and kindness are looked at as weakness. And you deserve to be stomped even more because you're showing weakness to your enemies. They look at you as the enemy. And there is no pity when they have the upper hand none. So try not, as much as you have empathy for these people... And, and, and for all people, realize they don't think the same way you do. Culturally, they're not the same. And another interesting thing, I don't know if I mentioned this, the, did I mention that the Iranians are Persians? They are not Arabs. I don't think we mentioned that here. Okay. I know you did Sunday. I did Sunday, um, so I'm trying to remember what I did and didn't mention Sunday. Right. Whereas the, the Arabian Peninsula, this area, these are Arabs. So this is the Arabic peoples descended from uh, Ishmael. This is a different group of people. This is a different ethnicity. These people are what was once known as Persians. This is Persia. Iran is Persia. Okay, Iran became Iran after they kind of uh, fell in love with Hitler back in the early 30s. The, uh, in Farsi, which is the, the language of Iran, Iran means Aryan. And Hitler, of course, was the superior Aryan. But they were before that known as Persia. So these are Persians. There's a different ethnicity. There's a little bit of a, a headbutting between both Arabs and Persians too, just on that scale. But Islam is the uniter. There was a, there's a saying in Islam 
me against my brother, me and my brother against my cousin, me and my brother and my cousin against the neighbor, me and my brother and my cousin and neighbor against the foreigner or the infidel. So this just goes to show you they, they, they tend to pack together when there's an outside force. When there's not, they tend to prey on each other because I'm a real Muslim and you're not. But we'll put aside those differences right now because we've got some infidels to kill. We'll settle up on this other point later. So that's where we're at kind of right now. And you're starting to see, and the Muslim world is looking for somebody to rally around, to actually bridge that gap between Shia and Sunni, to come out on top, to unite Islam so that they can take over the world. And of course, a great way to do that would be to bring the Mahdi back. So uh, we did get another question here, and this is a, a really good question uh, from, from Tina, Tina Reynolds. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you know her. I kind of do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, do you expect um, more Muslims to be entering our country illegally, more illegal immigration of Muslims now? This would be part of the military strategy of Islam is uh, my, the migration. So we had the Hajj, but the actual migration, what, what, what Muhammad did when he moved from Me Mecca to Medina, is called the Hijra or the migration. So it is a definitive military strategy, such as we're seeing in Europe right now, and if they can get more people, and I would think that they would be trying to do so to the southern part of our border and then bring them up through the border since the borders are open. Yes, as long as that border remains open, this becomes a conduit to keep bringing these people in. Now, they'd like to, over time, to outbreed us and then con within our penal system also to get converts. In our penal system, Islam is the fastest growing religious faith. Okay, It's a totalitarian system of government that is estimated as 86% political and only about 14% religious, but is the religious side that is the head for this thing that covers all the rest of it. They tell you exactly how to live. So yes, I believe as long as that border is open, it's nothing but an open opportunity to reinforce people who are already here and bring more people across. Now, in the interim, when we actually, if we're in a state of war with them, you would think that a declaration of martial law could be declared in this country and certain controls could be put in place, not just for Muslims, but for all citizens curfews, travel restrictions, that sort of thing. So it will become a little bit more difficult if it comes to that situation. I'm not saying it would, but that's one potential way to deal with, with the sort of turmoil that possibly could come out of this conflict. Right. And, and one thing I will remind us, too, is that uh, there isn't a huge need right now for Muslims to enter illegally. Uh, they've done it a lot. Now, that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that they won't continue to, to try to do it. I think they will. Also, reinforce uh, weapons up through some of the drug cartels right. because they are affiliated, as we talked and, about. And uh, because of, uh, frankly, because of George Soros money and the, uh, the uh, uh, also uh, the Evangelical uh, Immigration Roundtable or, or whatever that was, was called. Yeah, uh, that George Soros funds that uh, Russell Moore is a part right. of. And, yeah. We've also allowed several to come in and remember this whole refugee situation I, uh, when, I, I, yeah, Obama was president at that time. Mm -hmm. um, during the refugee situation, we're, we're letting people come in and, and bringing them in. Uh, you know, there are more Muslims here than what we would expect. Uh, there was another question here, and, and this was a thought I had too. This is from Sherry Becker. Uh, do you think that uh, Trudeau would let them come in from our northern border also, um, perhaps through New, uh, I was actually New, New York and, and that, the, that kind of area up there? Trudeau is definitely not a friend of America. He's uh, definitely a liberal, uh, socialist, even communist. But they have the common enemy, both Islam and Marxism of the United States or Western civilization or specifically Christianity. So yeah, there has been some infiltration from north as well because Canada is a very welcoming country to Islam and, and very much bowing towards that. Now, not the citizens don't like it, but 
yeah, that, that's another possibility as well. But um, I want to stop for just a second, too. If you know somebody that's Muslim, don't assume automatically that they are jihadists right. trying to cut your head off. Right. Um, I've had Muslim friends that were, again, apostate, would be considered apostate Muslims. They grew up in a Muslim country. Um, and they've even bought into some of the garbage that it's a peaceful religion, which is kind of amazing to me. I mean, all you got to do is just take a look at what it does. But um, do not make an assumption that, you know, if things get bad here, like in World War II, we rounded up all the Japanese and put them in internment camps that's, because of what they might do. That's not what we're advocating. We're not advocating that at all. Um, but we are advocating that, that people that are dedicated, if you're a faithful Muslim, you're obligated to take part in jihad. That. That's not me saying it. That's the Quran says it, okay? That's what Muhammad said that Allah told him through the angel Jabril, which we've been known as the angel Gabriel, that, all that stuff. So it's not my take or my guess or me trying to push you. I'm just telling you what the Quran says, and I know that this is what fundamental faithful Muslims believe, and that's their belief, okay? I'm not telling you we're at war with them because I think so. I'm telling you because they think so. And you just said, <laughs> we need to wake up the fact that they are the enemy by their own declaration. That's right. Um, and I, I think that's important for, for us to, to make clear. We, we're not saying to go into, if you know a Muslim, you know, to go into point at him and say, you're, you're trying to cut my head off or something like that, because that's, that's not necessarily the case. No. Most Muslims probably are apostate Muslims, just as... Uh, frankly, most Christians are apathetic uh, Christians, and, and in yeah. the sense of a heterodoxy, uh, the, or hetero uh, practice, I should say, heteropraxy, uh, that they live. Most uh, Muslims also live in heteropraxy, and so we do need to look at that um, the, in, and realize that. So we're, once again, we're not trying to go into bring people to fear. We're trying to bring people to preparation. We're trying to go into make sure people are are ready, they're aware, and. Um, they're, they're watching for what's happening uh, in this world. Well, if you haven't prayed in a while, tonight would be a good time. And if you were looking for a topic, I think we've given you a little bit, and this is something that needs continual prayer. And it's just good to, to stop relying on ourselves so much and start relying on God more. We carry a lot of burden around with us that we don't need to. God's plenty strong to carry it, but we end up driving ourselves in the dirt because we try to do so much on our own when the Lord is more than willing to help us and be with us and and direct us and guide us if we would but ask. And I think that's our problem sometimes. We get too busy to ask. We're too busy doing what we want to do. But uh, maybe tonight, um, as we look at what's going on in the world, we realize that the world's a lot bigger than we are. And uh, there's a lot of forces in play that we have nothing that we can do about. So we are forced to our knees to take this to the Lord and say, Lord, you're bigger than all this. You're that's bigger right. than the world. Um, and I've read the book of prophecy. I read the Bible. I know how all this ends. But we have to get from point A where we are to point B where it ends. So uh, as, we, as we make that striving, let us keep the Lord number one in our thoughts and minds. And, and of course, be aware of this stuff. I mean, I'm, I've been following this stuff. But I'll tell you what, I have a piece about this. I will sleep tonight just fine, even the information I've given you. I won't even dream about this stuff tonight. I mean, it, it is what it is. So cast your cares upon the Lord. But also be aware of what's going on. What we call... When you go out, when I was overseas, we call it situational awareness. So you had your intent up all the time. When I was out in public in a, in a Muslim society, I was aware of my surroundings at all time. I wasn't letting myself wander. I wasn't looking at a cell phone. I was situationally aware of what was going on around me and aware of what potentially could happen. We were warned about what could happen. Things happened. So you're always aware of that, and you're always looking at things security-wise. Like when you go into a restaurant, I like to sit where I can see the door, what's coming in the door. I don't like to have a lot of people behind me. I developed that over there. 
Okay, so I like to see everything in front of me just to keep an eye on things. When I came back to America, that level kind of dropped down. But more and more society is telling me and showing me and world events are showing me that that needs to come back up to that level again. Be aware, know what can happen at all times, and, and be prepared. What do I do? What do I do, for instance, if something starts happening over here? Where are the exits in this place? Do I have the ability to defend myself and defend others? Do I have the ability to do so? If I don't, maybe I should be practicing. Maybe I should acquire that ability. If I don't feel like I can do that, what should I do in case something starts happening? Where, how should I get away? How should I keep my family uh, abreast of what's going on? Is there a rally point for us if something happens? How do we meet? Talk to family and friends. Maybe make some little alliances. People you already know, love, and trust. Um, maybe they've got some similar concerns. Maybe you should be talking about some of this stuff. All right. Well, I think it's uh, time that we need to wrap it up because my phone battery just said 10% left, and that's the that's what's using it for uh, recording and broadcasting it. So, and I've uh, got to go to the gym, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so life carries on. But we hope this has been informative for you tonight. Um, if you have any questions that come to mind after the fact, please contact us. Um, right. Um, and, and Lord also, willing, we'll be podcasting some more, and, and we can answer those questions. We'll get those answers out to you. Right, and also let us know if you like this idea of uh, us doing this live. I see we've, we've carried a pretty good audience here the whole time, so uh, that's wonderful. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. We always have fun podcasting. So. We do. I, I wish it were a little lighter subject than tonight. Right. This, I never like right. to bring bad news in this instance to you, but uh, as Patrick Henry said, I'd like to know the whole truth and prepare for it. So this is what we're doing. Right, and the only thing that's going through my mind now is you can't handle the truth, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll leave that out of it. We so. think you can. That's why we. That's right. Uh, well, for the Shiny Light Podcast, this is Pastor Sam and Patrick. No compromise with evil. Wyatt. Have a great day. You hear him talking about evolution. I saw some theories.